you have a seat. Today we continue in the series that I'm calling Model Church, and we're thinking about the, the marks of the early church. What did the early church look like? And we're thinking three weeks about this, and, and taking some of the truths that we find at work in the early church, and then reinterpreting them into the life of the church today. Now, that's a little bit of a challenge, because culture has changed dramatically in 2,000 years. But, but really, as we think about interpreting Scripture, that's what it's all about taking the truths that we find in this book and then applying them in new ways to our lives and the life of the church today. And so last week we talked about how important teaching was in the ancient church. They listened to the apostles teaching because these men had been with Jesus. They had been witnesses of what Jesus did and what he said. And so they listened to those men to find out about who Jesus was. And so we read their teaching in scripture today. So we're still thinking about the teaching of the apostles 20 centuries later. Now today I want us to think about our mission to share the message of Jesus and how at times we might hesitate to fulfill that mission, right? We might hesitate in our culture in which we often think you can have your faith but don't impose it on me. We might hesitate to share Jesus. Now, we hear stories of people who are really good at that. People who have shared Jesus openly and how others have come to Christ because of their words. And we think, man, that's awesome. And we know Jesus called us to share. And yet, we personally sometimes think, I don't know. I don't know if I know how to do that. And I don't know how other people are going to respond, right? If I say, I want to invite someone to come to church with me and we're headed into a season in which we commonly encourage people to come to church. It's Easter. It's a great time to invite someone. And yet we say, I don't know what they're going to say if I invite them. They might say no, and they might sort of, that might make the relationship a little bit awkward. And we might even say, what are they going to think of me if I talk about Jesus? And if I invite them, they might think I'm a little extreme. And I say to that, you don't know nothing about that unless you're a preacher named Jim Jones, okay? I mean, you got a guy who was a preacher and then became a cult leader, led 918 people in 1978 to commit mass suicide and murder, taking Kool-Aid, right? That's the legacy I've got in my name, okay? So, thanks for the extremism, Jim. We don't want to be painted like that, but not anything like that, right? We don't want any part of being a religious extremist. And if I talk about Jesus... What are people going to think? And so we sort of keep quiet. So what do we learn from the early church? Is there anything here that can help us deal with that hesitation, that, that fear of talking about Jesus? And I think that we find that, that there is some help there in the book of Acts, and that's where we're sort of looking in this series. And today I want us to look at a story that we find sort of stretched across Acts 3 and 4. And this is in the days just after the founding of the church, maybe weeks at the most, of, of the church beginning. And what we see is two of the leaders in the early church, Peter and John, two of the primary movers, they were followers of Jesus. With some of those 12 people were listening to their teaching. They're making their way to the temple and they encounter a man that people in Jerusalem were very familiar with. He's a man who has a disability and in the ancient world, 
the way that you provided for yourself, if you had a disability, there's no safety net. You're just dependent on people giving to you. And so he's begging. Peter and John see him. Their response to him is, you know what? We don't have any money. But here's what we've got. We've got Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, be healed. And this guy did exactly what you would expect him to do. He jumped up. He's dancing. He's worshiping. He's excited because of what they've done in the name of Jesus. And you can guess that this attracted a pretty good crowd. Well, Peter and John use that crowd. They begin to talk about Jesus. And this, this is powerful stuff because we know that on the day of Pentecost, when the church began, there were 3,000 followers of Jesus. After this day, there's 5,000. All in the city of Jerusalem. Now, that too attracted some attention. It attracted the attention of the religious leaders, the professional Christians or at least followers of God, of that day. And they don't like what's going on. They don't like this Christian movement. They don't want to hear about Jesus. In fact, these are the people who had Jesus crucified, who turned him over the Romans so that he would be killed. And now his followers are continuing the same stuff. And so they hear about what Peter and John have done. They arrest them, hold them overnight, and then this big council of religious leaders, same guys who had Jesus killed, call Peter and John before them. And their question is, in whose name did you do this? And their answer is, remember the guy who called himself Jesus, who was the Messiah, the Son of God, the guy that you had killed? That's the one. That's the powerful name in who we did this act. And that's the name that we are preaching. So they put Peter and John out and go into private session and they talk among themselves. And basically they realize we don't have many options because they're going to keep talking about this Jesus. And you know what? We can't really deny what happened because we've all walked by this guy along the way on the way to the temple. We've seen him there begging. Everybody knows who he is. He's a fixture in the city. And now he's walking around, and they did it in the name of Jesus. We can't deny any of this. So all we can do is threaten them. And so they call Peter and John in. And they say, listen, we don't want you standing in the temple preaching about Jesus. We don't want you attracting attention. We don't want you talking to anyone about Jesus. Do you understand? And then they're released. Now to me, that's all a powerful story, but here's where it gets really interesting. Because they had some choices at this point. I mean, one choice after your life's been threatened, you've been told you can't talk about Jesus, you've spent a night in jail is, you know what? It's time to get out of town, okay? It's time to go somewhere else. It's time to maybe be quiet. But that's not what they did. In fact, they went right back. This seems to be the natural inclination at this moment. Let's go back to the community of faith. Let's go back to the Christians. And so they go back to these people who have just been called in the name of Jesus a matter of days and weeks. They're learning who Jesus is. Peter and John feel like they owe them something, their leadership, their teaching. They go back to them. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 4, 
Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they tell them, listen, we went through all this. We told them who Jesus was. And here's what they said. Don't talk about Jesus. Got that? Don't talk about Jesus. Now here again, they've got some choices. Maybe they could have said, we're really concerned about your safety and ours. Maybe we need to take this underground. Maybe we need to spread out. The other Christians could have said, Peter and John, okay, we appreciate all you've done, but it's time for you to get out of here. We'll be okay, but we, we can't afford to lose you. You've got to go somewhere else. None of that happens. What they do as a community of faith, the family of God, the church gathered together, their next step is prayer. Verse 24, when they heard this, all the Christians, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke all of this into existence with your powerful word. You, you put all of history in motion. You called your people Israel you knew that they were going to be opposed. You, you planned for Jesus. You knew He would be opposed. And just like the prophets of old, just like Jesus, we are facing opposition today. And you knew that would happen. You knew Jesus would be killed. And here's where, not only were there other choices, I can tell you, I would not have made the choice that the people in the first century did. Okay, if we're facing opposition in our culture... Right? And, and we have to be honest, okay? We might get a little opposition, but somebody saying happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas is not persecution like they understood in the first century. It's not the same thing. That's what they were facing. You could be killed. Okay, if we're facing that kind of opposition as a church, we know that in our community we could be arrested and killed because we're followers of Jesus. Here's my prayer. My prayer is, God, keep us safe. God, we want to follow you. And we just ask that this opposition to serving you would come to an end so that we can openly serve Jesus Christ. That's not what they prayed. That's not what they prayed at all. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, all that Peter and John had reported, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And that's the end of the prayer. They never pray for safety. They never pray that this persecution would end. They never pray that God would spare their lives, keep them out of prison. They never pray any of that. What they pray is, God, in the face of all this, in the face of the threats, the opposition, what we ask for is great boldness. Give us the courage to speak the name of Jesus in the face of whatever comes our way. And that strikes me. How do you have that kind of conviction? 
How do you have that kind of boldness in the face of opposition? But that's exactly what they prayed for. And it is exactly what God provided for them. In that moment, God shook the room that they were in as a sign that He had heard their prayer. And these men were given the courage that they asked for in this moment throughout the book of Acts. We see it happen. And what it teaches me is this simple lesson. Courage comes with commitment to mission. These guys, and there's men and women, these people were so committed to the message of Jesus and the mission of sharing the story of Jesus that even under the face of the possible sentence of death, what they want is not safety, but boldness. And that word boldness there speaks to the kind of clarity that that gives everyone the right to speak in the public square. So if you're in a, in a council meeting, you have the right to speak. They wanted that kind of boldness in the face of the culture that was standing against them. They wanted courage, and their courage came from their commitment to the mission to share the message of Jesus. They did not want to back down. And what we find is God gave them exactly that. They were arrested. Some of them were killed. But what we also find out is that the message of Jesus changed lives in the first century, and we can see that at work throughout Christian history. What we see is people like Paul. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, what you you find is a man who was part of the persecution. He's the one arresting people and having them killed. And what happens? He encounters Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. Over and over we see people changed because... They hear about Jesus. So how does that speak to us? What does that say to us? Courage comes with commitment to mission. We're called to the same mission. And their courage, I think, is an example to us. You know, one of the reasons that I have such confidence in this book is because the courage that men like Peter and John, who were involved in writing it, among others, were so committed to it. I mean, we've we've got lots of writings from the ancient world, lots of religious stories, some outlandish stuff. But my confidence comes in this book in part because these men, after they wrote it down, you know, they could have, They could have backed off when they faced threats. They could have said, well, you know what? That that Jesus guy, you know, we loved him and he had some good teaching, but the miracles, resurrection from the dead, we might have embellished those stories a little bit. They didn't say that. They said this happened and would rather die, would rather die than than to deny the reality of it. We'd rather give up our lives rather than leave Jesus. And that speaks to the truth that we find here. And we see example after example in Christian history of people whose commitment to mission gave them the courage to face whatever opposition came their way. Some of you know the story of William Tyndale. Lived in the 1500s in England. 
A man who was committed to Jesus Christ, but here was his mission. What he saw in the church was this. Worship and all the copies of Scripture that were available to the people were all in Latin. Well, the problem is, they spoke English. And what he knew was, if these people were going to really follow Jesus and understand what God wanted in their lives, they needed Scripture in their own language. And so he began to translate. And he began to publish. But just like in the time of Peter and John, the religious leaders, they didn't like that because it took control away from them. And so they, they began to threaten him. And he moved, he exiled out of the country, but he still, began, still continued to translate, still continued to publish, sent Bibles back to England to make sure that people had it in their own language. Some of those Bibles are still around, even though the religious leaders tried to burn them all, tried to buy them up. What they didn't realize is that as they bought them, they continued to fund more translating, more printing. Tyndale continued, even though he was threatened, eventually arrested, and finally killed. Why? Because courage comes with commitment to mission. And so the question comes down to us today. How committed are you to the mission? How committed are you to the story of Jesus Christ? Committed enough to overcome the question of, well, what if I invite someone to church and they say, no? Are you that committed? Because if it, if it really matters, if this stuff is true, it changes lives and it changes eternity for the people who believe it. How committed are we? Because if we're really committed we'll find the courage that it takes to share the message. Let's pray together. God, give us courage. Give us the boldness that Peter and John and these ancient Christians had to share the message of Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus is at work in the same ways that he was back then. That he changes lives today just like he did in the first century. God, give us the courage we need to invite. Give us the courage we need to talk about Jesus. Give us the courage we need to, to speak about how Jesus has changed our lives. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.